One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that wields the way music binds itself to memory as a means of getting to know our guests and to get them to recount some of their best life stories. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Lieutenant Commander David Baker, who retired in 2013 after nearly 44 years of continuous service in the Royal Australian Navy, which he joined as a 16-year-old junior recruit in 1970. Over those decades, he served in many different roles and positions, including postings on at least eight different ships. His career took him all over the world. A Navy Daily News story I found quotes him saying, I've been to Southeast Asia, the Southwest Pacific, the Indian Ocean, Hawaii, Africa, India, Antarctica, and the Middle East. He also captained the Royal Australian Navy shooting team and even once had lunch with the Queen. He sent me his bio, and it is just dense with accomplishments. Reading it, you can feel that each sentence contains its own full and likely complicated story. I've seen David around for several years at the Fort Myers Film Festival's TGIM Mondays, which I helped to run, but never knew anything about him until we were all sitting at a bar downtown one Monday night, and I asked him how he had met his wife, Marty, who's also a semi-regular film festival attendee, and his response started something like, well, I was in Iraq in one of Saddam Hussein's palaces, and so, of course, my ears perked up and my mind quickly turned to getting him in this studio to share the rest of that story, and more, I'm sure, with you, so let's go. Hey there, David, or Lieutenant Commander. Uh, David's fine, Michael. David. Thank you. <laughs> and Mike is fine. Thank you, David. Thanks, Mike. Um, uh, thank you for being here. I appreciate you doing this. Oh, it's wonderful. It's a great opportunity. Thank you. Um, so uh, that Navy Daily story I found ends by saying on retirement, he plans to move to Florida in the United States to enjoy golf cocktails and motorcycling. So how's your golf game, and what kind of mu- motorcycle do you have? Well, golf has been good, but uh, since I've come over – in retirement, my back has given me a lot of grief. Oh, no. So the motorcycling has had to go on hold for a while. Gotcha. But the golf game is okay? Golf game's all right. Where do you play mostly? Uh, Coral Oaks. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a That's nice course. That's on Cape Coral, right? It is, yeah. Yeah, no, I used to work in the golf industry, so I knew the pro out there years ago. Um, and you also said, your other bio said you enjoy shooting, and you were a captain of the, you were did several things in shooting. So are you like target shooting and stuff like that? Um, my trade in the Navy was I was a weapons specialist, basically. So I grew up with firearms uh, when I was a child and all the way through my naval career. Uh, and shooting in the Navy, apart from being my trade, was one of my sports that I took up there. So we used to target shoot and um, we were good enough and uh, we represented Australia in different events, but the, the highlight was going to Bisley in the United Kingdom and uh, shooting in front of the Queen. Hmm. How'd you guys do? We did pretty well. I was lucky enough. Uh, I came away with three medals from, from that uh, entire competition. Uh, it, it was just a great experience to, sh- to see and shoot against the best shooters in the world. Hmm. So what was the musical background of your childhood in Australia? Well, when I grew up, I grew up in the 50s and 60s and... Uh, There was no television initially in our house when I was a child, so it was radio or the turntable, and uh, mum and dad used to listen to Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, uh, the big bands, Uh, and when we finally got a television, uh, my mother fell in love with uh, Tom Jones. Hmm. So uh, that was sort of 
the lead into music for me. Was there um, <clears throat> indigenous Australian music that was happening? I don't mean necessarily indigenous in the literal sense, but just you, everything you just mentioned is all sort of a product of us. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there was, or oh, there still is, uh, a group called The Seekers, uh, Athel Guy, Keith Potka, and Judith Durham, and they're probably one of Australia's best-known sort of country folk groups hmm. from the 60s and the 70s, hmm. uh, and they still perform today. Um, we had some rock and rollers, Billy Thorpe and the Az- Aztecs, uh, Axiom, uh, and a couple of others, but uh, most of the music we listened to in the, in the house, probably apart from the Seekers, was you know, from the US. Gotcha. What's the earliest musical memory you can recall if you try to think back? Oh, my goodness gracious. Even if it's just a flash of something, not necessarily even a story. No, no, just probably Dean Martin. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Mum would uh, have him on uh, in the evening, uh, the nice soothing songs, and, yeah, probably Dean Martin. Was music important to you when you were a kid or was it just background? I I didn't really think too much about music at the time. I think I grew more into it the older I got. Gotcha. Do you remember the first time you owned music uh, that you had some sort of, you know – Providence over because you bought it or chose it? No, well, I was given a couple of albums uh, by my folks for uh, for Christmas and birthdays. I think the first one was the Please Please Me album by the Beatles, okay, yeah. which, which I really loved, and I still love the songs on it. And then sort of the other end of the spectrum was um, Goat's Head Soup by the Rolling Stones. Okay. Um, so they were probably two of my first albums. And then as I got a little bit older, uh, Cream uh, uh, came into the picture. About how old would you have been then, well, teenager? I would, yeah, I was still a young teen then. Gotcha. Um, what about playing music? Did you ever, were you ever in a school band or anything like that, no. music lessons? Totally musically illiterate. Okay. So you at no point in your life have you tried to pick up an instrument? No. no, I, tro- no, no I, tried to, I tried to bang on the drums once. And I thought, no, let someone else do this. Did anybody else around you play music Did, in your family or anything? Uh, no one in the family. Uh, my uh, best friend across the road, uh, they had a grand piano, and all five of the children over there uh, learnt piano. So occasionally we'd go over and listen to them practice, but it just never really uh, you know, s- stuck with me. I-, I just couldn't get into it. Hmm. You joined the Navy uh, young at 16 as a junior recruit or something like that. Explain what that means. And, and was was 44 years in the Navy your trajectory from the beginning or was it something to do and then it turned into your life? Well, uh, I was fourth year of high school. Uh, we were on Christmas break and I read a newspaper and there was an article in there advertising the Royal Australian Navy for junior recruits. So I filled in the application form, sent it away, and the fo- and April comes around and I'm in the Navy. Now, as a junior recruit, we had to sign on for 12 years. Oh, wow. Which is probably- Did you know that when you sent the application? Yep. Okay, okay. Um, so this was mindful then, yeah. yeah. Uh, my mother wasn't all that happy, but, uh, you know, so it was 12 years. And once you knock over your first 12 years, yeah. it's then only eight. To 20, which is a young retirement age, if you wish. You get to 20, it's all downhill from there for as far as time goes, and 20 became 25, became 30, and became 40, and then mandatory retirement age. <laughs> and then they pushed you out. That's it. Um, what were you doing in your career at that 12-year mark? 
12 years, let me think, 1982. I was a young petty officer at that time. I was on uh, HMAS Swan. Hmm. Um, and one of the songs that I've uh, picked will probably go over some of that period. Okay, well, let's get to your first song. I don't know if that's the song that'll go over that period or not, but or do you want to switch order? No, no, the order's fine. <laughs> okay, well, then let's go to your first song. What did you uh, choose and why did you choose it? Well, I chose Maggie May by Rod Stewart. It came out in 1971. And uh, in 1971, I was a young, ordinary seaman on HMAS Yarra, and I did my first overseas trip. And we went to Hawaii. And while we're in Hawaii, of course, you're hearing Maggie May by Rod Stewart. It was probably pretty big. It was. Yeah. And I, it, it just really stuck in my head, and I really liked it. So that was the first record that I actually purchased myself. It was a 45 uh, with the big hole in the centre. I purchased a, a little turntable that came in a briefcase to give to my folks. And um, I think the reason to believe was on the flip side. But Maggie May just stuck in my head. And as a couple of years went by, it, it really became pertinent to me because I was young, single, and I had a relationship with an older woman, uh, 20 years my uh, senior. And when it finished, I thought, God, that is just like the song Maggie May. If I had have been able to write the words to that, it would have been that period, that relationship I went through. And uh, it has stuck with me ever since. And every time I hear that song, I think of that period in my life. Uh, were you aware of the echoing that was happening between your life and that song during the echoing, or did you have to see it from a distance to no, realize it? No, I, I saw it you know, from a distance after the event, and I, I just thought, my God, that would be the perfect setup for that song. Hmm. So when you were in Hawaii, before we listen to the song, which we're going to do in just a minute, so when you were in Hawaii, you were, what, 17, 17, 17 years old? What were you doing like um, when you guys you know, went ashore, I guess, like paint a picture of where you would have been spending your time and what the world looked like? Well, uh, we went to Pearl Harbor. Uh, there's a, a biannual exercise called RIMPAC, which stands for Rim of the Pacific, and all the Rim of the Pacific nations – uh, send their fleets to exercise, and it's nearly always done out of Hawaii. So I was a young 17-year-old, sent to the US for the first time. Um, well, you're not allowed to drink because you have to be 21, mm -hmm. but the nice thing about it was our identification cards were paper at the time, and you could just use a razor blade, cut out your date of birth, and put in a, a date of birth to make you look 21. So we were able to enter the American clubs, uh, in Pearl Harbor. Uh, when we went outside Pearl, uh, we could visit all the places that we weren't allowed to go to. And, and it was just a really good experience. The exercise itself uh, is quite a busy period. And the times alongside were the period of uh, you know, rest and uh, recreation. And listening to Rod Stewart. And listening to Rod Stewart. Uh, what was the older woman's name? Beverly. Beverly. Okay. Well, let's go back to Hawaii in 1971 and listen to Maggie May. This is Rod Stewart from his 1971 album, Every Picture Tells a Story. It is so cool how a story can frame a song. Like your story framed that song in my head because I'd heard that song many times and I even have a memory associated with it. 
but that's just, uh, it's, it's amazing. When was the last time you listened to that song, mindfully, thoughtfully? Probably two days ago. Yeah. Uh, I knew I made the pick. You sort of said, pick your top three songs. And there are a lot of songs in your life, but that one, that one is probably the one that sticks out the most, maybe because it, you know, had to do with my, I suppose, first romantic involvement. Um, but it, it, the involvement was that song. Right. And uh, that's why it stuck out. Hmm. And it still does to this day. Um, my, it, I don't listen to these before we come in here. Now, I've heard that song before, obviously. Um, and it immediately took me back to 1990. I was a freshman at the University of Central Florida playing pool in the on-campus pool room because there's that one line in it about steal my daddy's yep. pool. And for whatever reason, that song was just on heavy rotation. And I would always – I'm back. I can – I could draw you a diagram of that pool room just because I happened to hear that song today. Ah! <laughs> so um, uh, uh, you joined the Navy at 16. Yes. Uh, what would your 16-year-old self think about where you are now and how have things have developed uh, over the course of those many years? Look, I, I, I couldn't picture it. Um, when I joined at 16, I obviously had no idea what to expect. Uh, the first 12 months of, was training and education uh, and uh, – learning all about the Navy before we actually got out to sea and went and did our business in uh, 1971, a year later. And then thinking back, I think, God, I'd be happy to get slowly promoted through the ranks, which happened, but I did not think that I would have the career that I had and do some of the amazing things that I've done and meet some of the people that I've met and go some of the places that I've been. Hmm. Where did where does music fit into Navy life other than when you're on your own time? Is there any music happening when you're on not your own time? Um, on board our ships back in the, uh, the 70s, uh, the, we didn't have televisions in our ships. So we um, had a thing called the SRE, Ships Radio Equipment. Okay. And uh, some of the ships even had a disc jockey. That was, wasn't his job, but he elected to. Somebody who would take on that yeah. volunteer responsibility. Hmm. So we would hear music. It would be on 24-7. Oh, but so. But it would just be in the background. So you'd have to be like in your mess deck or the cafeteria. And uh, you could turn on the SRE and you would hear music of all descriptions uh, throughout the ship. Being played by a human who was picking them for you guys. Yeah. Was there ever music played on the bridge? Uh, no. <laughs> no music on the bridge. <laughs> I didn't think, probably. Um, where does music fit into your life today, uh, and, and how do you listen to it primarily? Um, I really like music now. Uh, not that I didn't like it before, but I think I appreciate it more now. Um, I have a, a playlist uh, in my car. Uh, I have a playlist on Pandora. Um, so I'll either listen listen to it through Pandora, through Alexa, as everyone does Okay, so you're high tech then. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, my wife doesn't think I am, but um, (laughs) yeah, through Alexa or or in the car. But uh, my music, I suppose, tastes really haven't changed all that much. I like music, one, that I can understand the lyrics. So I hate to say this, but I'm not into punk or rap or any heavy metal. I like music that I can understand the the lyrics to and probably relate to. Hmm. Uh, when was the last time you purchased music that had a physical form? Oh my god, I can't recall. 
a long time ago. Okay, so um, you you dove into digital all the way back. Yes. Um, do you have any particularly memorable live music experiences? I've only ever been to one live concert. Really? In all those places you went? Yep. Wow. And that was 1973 at the Melbourne Showgrounds, and it was Slade. <laughs> Noddy Holder and the boys from Slade. How was that? It was great. I really – it was great. Too many people, though, but uh, – So that was it. That why? Was why, it. why? Let's explore why you didn't do any other live concerts over the years. Was that just you were busy or you just didn't have any resonance with that experience? Well, in my younger years, I spent an awful lot of time at sea. So once you posted to a ship, you spend a lot of time away. <laughs> When, we, when I was younger, we used to deploy on our ships for up to nine months. So when you came home for the three months you had off, uh, concerts for me wasn't really hmm. you know, number one on the list. As time went on, the deployments slowly got shorter, uh, down to seven months, six months, and now three or four months. Is that just because um, of the way the Navy operates or because you're in a higher – rank and so things change? No. Uh, over time, uh, the navies around the world uh, have taken into account you know, time away from families and so forth. I see. So, so they try and um, get the ship's schedules so that families can have a lot more time together than they did in the past. I understand. Um, when did you pick up golf? I, I picked up golf late. Okay. <laughs> uh, probably um, I was posted to Vanuatu, which is uh, in the Pacific. It's a little Pacific Island uh, nation, probably better known by most Americans uh, as the New Hebrides. Uh, John F. Kennedy's- I bet most Americans don't know either of those words. <laughs> well, well, John F. Kennedy's patrol boat, PT-109, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, ran out of the Solomon Islands and the New Hebrides during World War II. Okay, okay. So I was posted there in- um, 1999, and I had a lot of spare time in that posting as an advisor with the Vanuatu Police Force, and I really took up golf seriously then. Oh, so they had a golf course there. Or Beautiful golf, golf course. Golf course. Hmm. Okay, well, we are moving on to song number two. Number two, yeah. What is number two? Number two. This yeah. one I've never heard, by the way, so this will be an unprecedented listening experience for me. Okay, number two is a, a, a song called Sukiyaki. Uh, not many people have heard of it, and it's uh, by a group called A Taste of Honey. That's the English version. There was a Japanese version that okay. came out earlier, uh, and it was a, a smash hit in Japan. Now, Sukiyaki came out in the early 80s, I think, and this sort of takes me back to probably one of the, the best periods of my life in the Navy was the early to late 80s. Um, I was a petty officer in rank, uh, and I was on three ships over this entire period, and we spent nearly all our time either in the Southwest Pacific or Southeast Asia. And uh, this particular song uh, takes me back to 1983 on board HMAS Swan. We'd been to Pearl Harbor again, and uh, there was another romantic bond that formed between myself and a Japanese lady. And uh, she was in Hawaii on holidays before going back to Japan. We met, we got together, and, and it was just fantastic. 
And over that period, my ship went to Japan several times and we kept our relationship going. But in the end, uh, you know, distance, time, life, life, (laughs) and it came to an end. But every time I hear that song, Sukiyaki, it, it makes me think of that amazing time in my life, you know, in the Southwest Pacific, Southeast Asia, and Angie, who was the young lady, uh, in particular, and it was just probably one of the best periods as a sailor in my life because as time went on, come 1990, the world went to war again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so things uh, changed in all the navies. First 20 years of my life in the Navy was a peacetime Navy, showing the flag around the world, doing exercises, having a great time ashore. Come 1990, First Gulf War, things changed. Hmm. So that period, sort of 82 to 88, 89, uh, was just fantastic for my life. The salad days. It was great. Um, and now when I Googled this to find it, it said category disco. So I guess this would be sort of late disco. Oh, no. It's no? nothing like no, disco. Nothing like disco? Okay, well then, never mind. <laughs> I was going to ask you if you ever danced to it. We'll get to dancing a little oh, bit. Oh, no. Okay, let's listen to it. Uh, Sukiyaki by A Taste of Honey from their 1980 album Twice as Sweet. When was the last time you listened to that one? About two days ago. About two days ago. It was an easy choice, though? It was. It it really was. And that really reflected sort of my time and best memories for that period that I described. uh, Was that song big? Was that song popular at that time? Or was that just one that you guys discovered together somehow? Uh, It it was in the Navy, I think. I heard it a lot in the ships in the Navy. And I I recall that uh, myself and one of my best mates, Kevin Curtis, we used to sit in the petty officer's mess and he was an Alan Parsons project guy, and he played that <laughs> nice and loud on the Walkman. And I had, you know, Sukiyaki and Aaron Neville and all those. But you guys that, were oil and water. <laughs> that was it. Was just perfect for that time of my life. Hmm. Um, uh, what does a petty officer do? Real quick, a, a petty officer in our I've navy heard that forever, but no, I don't no, know it, what it, it is. It's. Uh, the first of the uh, NCO, non-commissioned officers' ranks. So as an able seaman, leading seaman, you're the worker bees. Yeah. The petty officer is basically the first step in management. Gotcha. Okay, okay. Um, are you a dancer? Not at all. Not at all. Well, it depends on how many beers. Like, like so how many beers does it take? <laughs> An awful lot. <laughs> so, um, so do you just not like it or do you just uh, – what's the deal? No, no, I'm not terribly coordinated on the dance floor. Okay. I mean – I'm, I can slow dance, and my wife will even attest to that. But as far as getting, getting up out and boogie, and, yeah, and, yeah. no, it's just not me. Right. And, and maybe that has something to do with I've always sort of been – you know, navy orientated uh, regimented. Well, I was going to say, you have to sort of probably have a certain reserve at all times. Well, later on in the, uh, in the, uh, the career you do. Not so much in the early parts, but no, I was never a dancer. Hmm. What about singer? You were singing a little bit to that along the way. Are you a singer in life? Uh, I'm a singer to myself uh, in the shower, uh, in the car. Uh, uh, My wife actually says she loves hearing me sing because it makes her her happy. So So you ever sing to her? 
Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you ever done karaoke? Um, Seems like a, there might have been a port, a port yeah. somewhere with a karaoke machine in it. Uh, yeah, no, a couple of times, uh, in particular in Japan, because it's big there, uh, a couple of bars in Japan, uh, we've got up and, and given it a go. Any ideas of what you may have given a go? Oh, God, no. Don't ask me that. You've put me on the spot there. No, I can't recall, but I think they were country and western songs because they're easier to sing and the words come across yeah. slower on the screen. I can see you doing Maggie May. Well, <laughs> that wasn't one of them, though. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, what about like um, Broadway musicals or movie musicals? Do you have any uh, love for those? Look, musicals and show, I was never really into. However, my wife, because she uh, is a performer, that's one of her jobs, um, she got me into going to some of the shows at the Barbara B. Man, mm-hmm. uh, at the Broadway Palm Theatre. Uh, so later in life, I've started to probably appreciate it more uh, than I should have, you know, years ago. Yeah. You know, I never really had much, uh, I, I didn't pay too close attention to that stuff, but now I have a daughter who's almost 14 who's really into that world. And so suddenly seeing everything, like, now I, w- I want to go to it all with her because of the joy it gives her gives me joy. Yeah, that's you know? great. Yeah. Um, what, but favorite band? Do you have a favorite band? Uh, I would probably say the Bee Gees. Oh, right on. <laughs> I really love their music and uh, I just watched their 1990 special on, on television again the other day. I've got it recorded and I just put it on and uh, they're great. They, their harmonies, their lyrics, uh, you know, really good stuff. One of my weird little stories from life is when I was in kindergarten, my grandma took me school shopping and said I can get anything I wanted, and I chose a sparkly blue and gold Bee Gees belt buckle that I wore all through elementary school. (laughs) I bet you got some looks. Oh, of course, and I didn't even know who the Bee Gees were. Um, Are there any modern bands that you have, um, you know, become um, a, a fan of, things that are out there that, you know, within the last 10 or 15 years that are popular? Not really so much as bands. I mean, I like a lot of different artists now. Um, I was never a great sort of country and western fan, for example, when I was growing up. But uh, I suppose I've listened to um, Faith Hill, Lila McCann, in that sort of, I suppose, country rock sort of uh, era. And and I like that. I like uh, Motown. You know, I love Dinah Ross Supremes, The Temptations, The Four Tops. Uh, the Platters in particular, um, and one of my good friends here in uh, in the Cape is uh, Al Holland, who used to be a member of the Platters, and uh, we're good mates, so it made me listen to more of uh, their music. He's uh, he's like episode 15 or so of this series, actually. Yeah. He, he's, he's fantastic. <laughs> he is such an amazing dude. I really like him, and I enjoyed his episode a lot. And I love watching him sing. You know, like he sang, like, Only You at Eric and Amy's wedding. You yeah, know. He, he performs <laughs> all over the place. He's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so we're going to move on to your third song now. Yes. And this, this is somebody who's modern. modern. Yeah. So what is this, and why is it? Uh, it's by Michael Bublé, and it's the song Home. The latter half of my naval career was the wartime section. Right. I went to the Middle East many times, um, and I was a peacekeeper in um, uh, East Timor, which is near Indonesia for the Americans that don't know about East Timor. But the Middle East in particular, 
I spent a lot of time there and I saw a lot of horrible things. And uh, you get to appreciate, I suppose, the things at home. And as uh, you probably saw, I put together that little uh, video montage of some of my time there. And I used the movie, uh, sorry, the uh, the lyrics and home as part of the background for that. Uh-huh. Because when you're at war, it makes you want to go home. You want to see the end of it. And I thought the lyrics in that were perfect about someone that's seen enough getting to the end of my career. So I wanted to go home. What um the the most of those pictures in that slideshow were from two thousand seven. Yeah, that, was that, that right? well? I went um, started going to the Middle East actually before the war even started. So two thousand and two all the way through to two thousand and eight for different reasons. Um, and I thought that would be my last deployment in two thousand and eight, but uh, fortunately uh, I got another one to as a peacekeeper in uh, East Timor, uh, two thousand eleven two thousand and twelve. Um, so that still reflects the uh, the same sort of feeling that that uh, song brings out. So when it, when you were there in say two thousand seven or two thousand eight, um, where was home then? Well, uh, home in Australia was uh, was Sydney, um, but you know, home for me then was you know Baghdad. It was Kabul. Right. But it, what were you longing to go back to? Was I, Sydney? I, yeah, I was longing just to get back to Australia, get away from all the conflict, you know, get back to being able to go down to the pub and have a beer, mm-hmm. get together with family and friends. Uh, all the things that we take for granted here uh, are the things that you don't have when you're deployed. At what point did home become here? Home became here when I retired in uh, 2013. Gotcha. Okay. Well, let's listen to this song then. Um, This is Home by Michael Buble from his 2005 album, It's Time. How did you find that song? Or how did that song find you? I just just heard it somewhere. I, I can't even recall where I heard it for the first time. And it it really made me emotional when I heard it and related to some of the things that I'd been through and uh, some of the, uh, you know, events and uh, things I'd seen. And it, it, I thought it was just perfect for that time in my life that I'd really had enough of, you know, being in conflict or at war. And I really just wanted to call it all off. Do you remember what it felt like when you were leaving the Middle East for what you, you knew was probably the last time? It felt fantastic. I mean, it was really good. I mean, we and all the, the, the forces in the coalition there did a fantastic job, but it would be mad to say that, you know, you wanted to stay. No one wants to be there. Um, but it was such a nice feeling of relief, I suppose, to get on board that aircraft and fly out of Kuwait and head home. When did you make that video? Uh, I made that in probably 2009. I just wanted to put together a little slideshow to to show some of my friends, um, civilian friends, um, you know, some of the the scenes and the bits and pieces of places that they you know hear about but never see, and to show them to give them sort of some idea. Uh, you know, what it was like in pictures. Gotcha. Um, it was really interesting. I mean, because you had all kinds of stuff in there. It yeah. was, I, I watched it all the way through. Um, so 
how did you meet your wife? Long story short, <laughs> uh, we we tell people uh, the new old fashioned way. Uh, it wasn't a dating service, um, as I told you when I first met you. You know, I was uh, stationed. I was in Baghdad, and I was actually living in one of Saddam Hussein's palaces, mm-hmm. and it had which uh, now I've seen pictures of palaces. So. Yeah. <laughs> And you know, you hear that at a bar, David. Sometimes you raise your eyebrow. <laughs> I know a lot of people take a second guess and say, "You're joking." Yeah, tell me the real yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. But um, it had a lot of faux art in it that I didn't understand or really know anything about. So Google is your friend. So I googled on the computer, and a whole raft of uh, sites came up. I clicked on a link, and I thought, right, I'll email this faux company. I tell them where I am, what I'm doing, and if they can explain to me about what I'm looking at. And uh, Marty normally had a secretary working for her, but the secretary was off this particular day. She got the email and thought, yeah, sure, and responded. And one thing led to another, and here I am. How long before you guys met in real life? Uh, it was a couple of years. We we did, uh, you know, uh, the old email and and some video chat uh, just to make sure, you know, I wasn't sort of the psycho on the other side of the planet. Yeah, yeah. She was a real person. Uh, <laughs> and we we thought the first time we meet, we'll do it on neutral territory. So if anyone Where is neutral wanna... territory between southwest Florida and Baghdad? Well, we met in Palm Springs. Oh, okay. So if we need to bug out, you can. Gotcha. Um, and, and you guys have been married for how long now? Uh, it'll be five years coming up this April. Right on. Um, okay, well, let's talk then about songs or bands that almost made it to your list. Is there a fourth song that you had to kick to the curb? Oh, uh, look, not really. I mean, I, I went through, like, Aaron Neville, he, he's one of my favorite singers, and one of the songs I really like there is Ronnie O, and I thought, oh, that, that could get in there. Um, what would be a story that goes with that? Well, once again, this is coming into the funeral side of things, which <laughs> I probably don't want to talk about at the moment. But um, Ronnie O just is a song, if you listen to the lyrics of it, you, you it's very personal and it's just a, a really nice song. I mean, another artist I really enjoy is Michael Jackson. Um, I, I thought Michael and Elvis Presley, uh, two of probably my favourite artists of all time. Did you have a process that you used to get to your three songs or did they just sort of pop into your head? Uh, They were in my head. Uh, When you said you need three songs, I knew what three I would pick, you know, immediately. But I did sort of go through, there's so many groups, so many individual singers, but those three were were there. Hmm. Um, uh, Are you fans of any bands or musicians that are lesser known besides, I guess, A Taste of Honey, that you would want to recommend to our listeners? No, I suppose most of the bands that or individuals that I like are, are probably from the 70s, 80s. I mean, as I said, I like Michael Bublé now. Right. Uh, one singer that's really big now, you know, Charlie Puth, I, I never, I'd never heard of him until I heard a couple of his songs uh, on the radio related to film. And uh, I really like the way he sings. 
uh, Nora Jones, before she came out, I'd been given a tip that this is a person to, to listen out for. I heard some of her music and I told everybody, I said, Nora Jones will be the next big thing. And she was. Hmm. Um, you know, I've seen you on the big screen a few times as an actor. <laughs> Did you ever think you'd go down that road when you were back in the Navy days? Look, absolutely not. Um uh, as you probably know, uh, Marty uh, did a movie last year and um, the the crew and cast were behind us a couple of months ago and they approached her and said, Marty, we're, we're thinking of doing another film. And she was thinking, oh, my goodness, what, what, what role am I going to have here? And uh, they said, oh, we'd like David to play the male lead. She stopped and thought, right, I'll be his agent then. Uh, so, you know, from that conversation, uh, I was lucky enough to get in uh, to the the new film by Curtis Collins called Eden, mm-hmm. and uh, first time acting, and I loved it. You got there's more of that in your future. You think maybe yeah. if they want me, I'm available. You're certainly in the right circles. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, are there any albums that you love in their entirety? You say you sound like so you listen to music piecemeal these days. So you're not really listening to albums straight through. But are there any thriller? Thriller, okay, yeah. awesome. Uh, I love uh, Michael Jackson. I just think he was a superb entertainer, and I like to watch, uh, uh, you know, the video clips that go with uh, the the lyrics. Obviously, hmm. Are, um, would that be if you had to choose one album? That's a different answer. You know? I know. I think Thriller would be yeah. my favorite album. Hmm. So if you only had one choice to live on a boat for the rest of your life, yeah. it would be just Thriller all I day. I think so. I think so. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, and then in this one you alluded to having given it some thought before we started, but are there any songs that you will always avoid for whatever reason? There are, um, and, and there's a little bit of a story that goes with it. Sure. Three years ago, um, I went to Denver, Colorado uh, for Christmas to do a white Christmas, meet the new family. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marty's sister uh, lives in Denver. Um, my new niece was seven, year, seven years old at the time, and she had the soundtrack of Frozen on a 24-hour loop. Yeah, she wasn't alone, probably. she was singing karaoke. And we were there for five days, and she sang to that soundtrack for five days. So if I ever hear, do you want to build a snowman or let it go again, oh, my goodness gracious me, something I can do without. (laughs) You are probably not alone when it comes to that. That was one of those those soundtracks that took over the world. Thank you, Miss Emily. Um, Okay, well, uh, last question. Uh, What do you miss the most? And what do you miss the least about Navy life? Look, uh, I thought, like a lot of people, it would be hard to go into retirement. But for me, it wasn't. I slipped into retirement, you know, quite easily. The things I probably miss the most, uh, the mateship, the camaraderie, my old Navy buddies who are, you know, still back in Australia that I keep in contact with thanks to Facebook. But... uh, it was a career that was that part of my life, uh, which I loved totally, 100%. But I'm now in a new phase, and I'm just looking forward to going ahead. What do you miss the least? The least. Some of the cooking in the Navy, some of the cooking, some of the meals that we had. Um, but, you know, I, I just loved it all. And I suppose if there's things I miss about Australia is a good meat pie um, a good beer, and uh, a dessert that we have in Australia called pavlova. Hmm. Any final thoughts? 
Any final thoughts? No, I think it's been great. I've really enjoyed today, and I'd just like to thank you for having me on. No, thank you, and it's, uh, I'm glad to have gotten to know you uh, much better than just saying hi. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. All it's right. been great. Thank you. We make this show in the WGCU studios on the Florida Gulf Coast University campus in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer. Our executive producer is Chris Duffus. Our theme song was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. Special thanks for this episode to our guest board ops, Victoria Alvarez and Bruno Halpern. This week's parting tune comes from Kyle in Minneapolis, Minnesota. My song is Copper Line by James Taylor and Reynolds Price. It's one of the few songs that uh, James Taylor co-wrote. James Taylor lived in, uh, in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and his father was an English professor at UNC. I went to Duke University, and my English professor was a guy named Reynolds Price. And it turns out Reynolds Price was friends with James Taylor's father, and they decided to write this song about a section of Chapel Hill known as the Copper Line. So when I think of this, I do think of uh, my English professor, and um, I realize afterwards, this is something that probably happens to a lot of people, I didn't know how, just how strong and how famous he was at the time. And I think back on it now, and I realize, wow, how fortunate I was to have that exposure. Pretty amazing. I think of the song now, I think of a sunny Carolina day. I think of Chapel Hill. I think of bright, bright blue skies. And uh, that's what comes to mind immediately on this song. I'm Mike Canary. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. Hey, Mike. Hi, Richard. I don't want to say anniversary if we're going to say birthday. Okay. Um, but I don't want it to seem like it's your your birthday. It's been one year. One year? It's our birth. We should go, it's our birthday. Maybe it's something like that. It's your birthday.